This is RAF with Tony Tone and LA. Yo, what's up? You tuned into RAF, and this is your host, LA, aka the Love Ambassador. And thank you for tuning in. And special shout out to Brucey for uh, for rocking some dad jokes. He's out of control. He's out of control, that dude. Uh, well, look, to be honest with you, um, first of all, disclaimer apparently, Muramasa, the Malian emperor, was the richest man in recorded history, according to Daman Ace. Eight. Da man, ace, eight. Eight meaning affinity, so the man is, well, at ace forever, is what that name means. Anyway, go figure. There you go, Trombo. You had your little plug on the podcast. Anyway, we'll be moving on. I want to take it back a little bit to something different. Um, the reason being is that when you try to sit down uh, and organize podcasts, it's a mix of what's currently popular who you can get to interview uh, subjects of interest for a broad amount of people. But today I'm going to branch off a little bit and uh, just kind of show a little bit of something about myself. I'm actually a massive blues fan, blues music. Now, before you switch off the channel, there's actually some interesting things going on with it, right? And I'm just going to give a little sort of a demonstration as to, well... You know, for those people that don't know, for a couple of minutes, I guess a quick introduction on it. So my introduction came to blues music was uh, basically when I was a young kid. My, during Christmas sales, my mum and my sister would go, they'd do all the shopping, and then obviously me and my old man would, you know, chill out, watch the soccer. <laughs> I, mean, I might taste this beer as well. And then we would go and uh, pick my mum and, and sister up after the shopping and that of course being women would have all their uh, all their things going on right buying whatever it is and to not make me feel left out um my mother would buy me cds so my mum grew up on you know the likes of Aretha franklin elvis Presley, miriam makiba uh, a lot of blues music uh soul you know motown and everything like that and the first CD she bought for me that I can remember when I was about three years old was Muddy Waters. And uh, then the next year after that, she bought uh, another CD, and I still remember it, the blue CD, which was uh, John Lee Hooker. And I don't know what happened, you know. So people sort of say, maybe in your previous life you were a blues man. But for me, something clicked. And the rest of my life, uh, I've always loved it. It's always been a strength to me. Um, and I kind of just like the stories and the raw emotion. And as a musician myself, a classically trained pianist and an MC, I appreciate the the genius and the simplicity of what they're doing. So the background of blues music is there's a, actually the connection that many people draw. And the reason why I did that apology for Mali first is because many scholars and my own personal beliefs tie the blues musicians to the tradition of the Griot culture of Mali. And what these guys were were basically musicians going from town to town, telling about the news and, you know, who was marrying and who died and whose birthday it was and the the language and the stories and the history. And, and so, yeah, they were basically like, 
you know, newspapers didn't exist in those days, and so they were kind of the equivalent going from city to city, town to town, and village to village. And it was sort of a call and response thing that they did in their music. Uh, and also, when you look at the way that blues music is structured, it has similarities as well. Um, and then, so if you fast forward, you know, during the horrible times of slavery upon the end of slavery, supposed end of slavery, some would argue that it still exists in the penal system of the 13th Amendment, but that's a story for another day. You see towards the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, blues music start to come. Uh, and because you couldn't really outright say against white people, oh, you know, you owe me money and this person did X, Y, Z, they would code it, you know, so the woman, you know, they'd talk about their woman mistreating them when they'd actually be talking about the landowner or they'd be talking about, you know, the woman in the context of the local sheriff or, you know. So it became sort of a code amongst the community, in particular in the south of America, in the Delta. And that's where we're going to pick it up. Um, so the Father of the Blues is considered by many to be W.C. Handy. Uh, if you go to Memphis, you can see his house with St. Louis Blues. But I'm going to take it up from uh, Robert Johnson. Now, Robert Johnson, uh, you know, every, every culture, uh, every type of music, every religion, everywhere in the world, there's always that kind of mystical character involved, right? Or, or someone that has an aura around them. And Robert Johnson, I mean, if you listen to, um, you know, Eric Clapton or Led Zeppelin or, you know, a lot of the rock bands, you know, today, will be drawing the influences from this man's original recordings. Now, when he was born, he was born uh, down within sort of Mrs. Mississippi sort of area within the South. Uh, and, you know, what actually happened was that when he was two years old, he had to bounce because uh, his father got in an argument with white landowners and basically the Ku Klux Klan were chasing him saying, well, <laughs> you, uh, you got two options, son. You either leave or, you know, we're going to hang you from this tree. Um, and so what happened is he kind of moved around with his mother for a bit. If you fast forward, he was always a good harmonica player, but he never really was a good guitarist. Uh, and so this brings me back to another story. I travelled, and shout out to Joe Tracks in this one, I travelled on a blues tour of America and I went down to this one town called Clarksdale, Mississippi. Clarksdale is famous because not only has it produced blues musicians like, you know, John Lee Hooker, Muddy Waters grew up around that area, but even if you turn on the radio and listen to Rick Ross, for example, he's from there as well. You know, Joe Tracks, you know, multi-million, you know, album producer himself is from there. And uh, Robert Johnson was sort of travelling around this sort of area. Uh, he lived there for a little bit. Um, but what made him famous was, you know, he did a couple of recordings in the 30s. And he's famous for one thing. Like I said, he wasn't a very good guitarist. And the story goes is that he disappeared, right? And then when he came back, he could play guitar. So many people, when the, as he kind of played on for a bit of marketing or whether you believe it or not, they say that he sold his soul to the devil in order to be able to play guitar. And what added further credence to this is he did the song called The Crossroads, Me and the Devil, you know, uh, and other songs as well kind of playing on it. But no one could figure out how he just magically figured out how to play guitar. 
Uh, and also, you know, the way that he met his end wasn't exactly the prettiest of prettiest. So what the blues musicians used to do during this time, because like I said there was an enormous amount of racism, but also you got to remember this is like the Great Depression. It's really poor, you know, especially in the South, which was still decimated pre-Civil War and never really fully recovered. The musicians would travel on the trains, right? So they travel from town to town, and then they would be playing in juke joints. And juke joints is literally like... Could be like a normal theater like you were, but traditionally it'd be like a hut in the middle of like nowhere and the local farmers would go and have a dance and a drink and you know many times a fight and whatnot there and we'll get there down the road. Um, but yeah, look, I'm going to give you a quick example of Robert Johnson, but the way that he made his, met his death was that he was supposedly poisoned at the age of 27 years old. So he was flirting with a woman, the husband didn't take too uh, kindly to it, and uh, despite warnings, he kept drinking, 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 and the alcohol was poisoned, uh, and he died afterwards. And he was relatively unknown, and it's only later that people started to pick up his music. But this is an example, to the best of my ability with audio that we've got available, uh, to give a demonstration of Robert Johnson. As you see, you know, it's got sort of more of a, you know, rural acoustic style to it. Now, a lot of the information that came about Robert Johnson was from a musician called Sun House. Sunhouse is an interesting uh, individual because he tried to, uh, you know, be a, be a good church man, be straight with the law, but that corn licking the women <laughs> kept calling him. And you got to understand the context of the time, the blues musicians. I mean, we talk about rap music today and like, oh, these dudes are lean out of control and they're doing drugs and they're talking about bitches and whatever and they're being derogative. They're going through, I'd argue, lesser extent of um what these men were going through at the time because there was literally the the church and then everything that wasn't the church was considered um to be wrong now sun house himself was a preacher for a time he also knew robert johnson a lot of the information that came was partly from his own uh, oral stories but this guy uh literally disappeared so around Robert Johnson time, like in the 30s, he's recording, you know, this is an example, and I'll talk a bit afterwards. So this is an example of uh, Sunhouse's music. As you can see, it's a very interesting slide guitar. Now, Sun Houser disappeared for the tune of about 30-something years. We'll get to a bit later on in the story, but basically the revival of blues music, because it disappeared from the, the black community to a large extent by this cult sort of the 50s. Um, there was these people 
what I literally like white dudes like myself that are record collectors and into music that like tracked Sunhouse down. So they're literally, you know, this is before internet, this is before, you know, Google or technology, and they just worked their way through the South, just asking around, and eventually they found him. And he'd been like a janitor and had odd jobs and everything like that. And he'd essentially forgot how to play the music that I played before. So he relearned it, and then... From the 1960s for the next, you know, until he died for the next few decades, he kind of came back on the scene as this folk musician. But he was also the one that was telling about, you know, Robert Johnson, how he knew him pre-being able to play proper guitar and then and then disappearing. And it, again, you know, if you want to go for a bit of a tourism thing, if you're in America, go to Clarksdale, Mississippi. They've actually got the crossroads with the guitars. But as my as my homie Melvin told me, the actual real place is a couple of kilometers down the way, but it was too hard for the tourists to get there. So the Southlands, we know, was oppressed. As you can see, it was a very acoustic form of playing music. Uh, a lot of the musicians would do recordings here and there, but they would sort of travel, um, travel by train. Now, because of... You know, we, we all know sort of like the segregation and everything that went on in America. That's, you know, common knowledge. And if it's not, well, then <laughs> you should definitely be learning about that so you have a concept of where others are coming from in history. And then there was a huge migration because in the north, um, you know, there was a lot of work in factories, in particularly in like Detroit, uh, for the car industry in Chicago, you know, and other places in the north, and to a certain extent in Los Angeles as well. So you had a massive migration of people heading out. Um, and they never really sort of escaped that that segregation. It was kind of just a little bit less obvious, but still, still there uh, in the north. And it wasn't just black people moving, it was sort of poor whites as well. Uh, and so, yeah, it was huge migration, and I'm going to give a little bit of example how it changed the sound with Howlin' Wolf, Smokestack Lightning, and he used to speak like this, the big, bad Howlin' Wolf. Now, what smokestack lightning is supposed to resemble is literally, you know, this is before uh, we had all the electric trains, so it was still the old locomotives. And so the sm smokestack lightning is literally the steam coming out as people were escaping the poverty. Now, when they went up north, uh, in particular into Chicago, uh, what I want to take you to now is a person who is very important for, well, I guess you could say popular music. So a lot of you, like myself, would have grown up listening to uh, Muddy Waters, or not Muddy Waters in particular, but Muddy Waters inspired this group called the Rolling Stones. In fact, the Rolling Stones is actually named after a Muddy Waters song. And the story goes with Muddy Waters, again, he came from sort of the Clarksdale area himself, uh, and then, you know, got on the train like a bit of smokestack lightning and headed up uh, to Chicago. And when he was in Chicago, he was working all sorts of odd jobs. And they used to play at the nightclubs. 
And these nightclubs still to this day is something that I would have loved to have seen and something that I did actually on my blues music tour. Uh, I work in a hardcore corporate world. It's pretty stressful. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, fighting every day to uh, try and earn that dollar. Um, and it's difficult. And so what I did was a similar thing if I just took a month off and went through every single, you know, blues club I could find throughout America and in particular in Chicago. Now, the quick story about Muddy Waters is he was working with many of the blues musicians for a record company called Chess Records. Uh, Leonard Chess was actually the owner of it, so it was named after him. Um, he was a Polish-Jewish immigrant, and uh, yeah, so he set up with his brother a record store, which, you know, produced an enormous amount of famous blues music. And uh, now the story goes that Muddy Waters is one of the first musicians and, you know, just a down-to-earth type of dude used to sort of help out, you know, as well as doing the music for himself, he'd just sort of help out like everyone else, you know. So the Chess Brothers would paint one bit of the, you know, studio and he'd paint the other and all work together. And the story goes that um, the Rolling Stones, so Mick Jagger and Keith Richard, et cetera, et cetera, you know, have their laugh idolised this person. You know, this would be like uh, Tom Brady or, you know, Migos or... <laughs> Drake, for example, so it'd be the equivalent of like going to, going to see Drake, and then Drake's painting the wall, and then sees you and is like, "Oh, yo, what's up?" And then goes down, takes your bags, and then carries your bags into the studio, and you're an aspiring artist. And that's what the Rolling Stones experienced with Muddy Waters. Now, a song that's basically woken me up every morning, um, my whole entire life, is uh, Manish Boy. Now, Manish Boy was actually originally written by Bo Diddley, uh, another famous musician that created a sort of the start of rock and roll, you could argue. And again, it was coming back to what I was saying about how in the South, you couldn't say like, oh, this white dude was doing this and this person was treating me badly or whatever because your life would be at risk. And they were subjugated to enormous demasculinity, right? Uh, and so what happened was that this song came in sort of the very, very early 50s when it first came out. And to say, I'm a man, you know, for a brother to say that was, was revolutionary at the time, you know, because you're always called boy, <laughs> you know. And to tie, I'm a man, and then to tie cleverly into sexual innuendos um, is really, you know. And, and for me, the reason why I like this song is I find it uplifting the music, but just the message. Because I find that, you know, this day of social media and everything like that, like, it, it, it gets so confusing with identity and, you know, you like I said, you work in a crazy corporate world and you're trying to make sense of things every day and you turn on the news and there's other wars happening and people arguing and whatever. So I like the simplicity of the, the introduction for this and the music. So I'll play a little bit for you now. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go! 
baby I have lots of fun I'm a man As you can see, that was Managed Boy by Muddy Waters. So now we're going to take it up. Um, if you haven't seen the film The Blues Brothers, then I suggest you do see that. And uh, like I said, Muddy Waters was the first CD I ever received as a kid. And the second one was John Lee Hooker. Now, John Lee Hooker actually, uh, again, was from Clarksdale, Mississippi. And he uh, learned how to play from his stepdad. And he essentially ran away from home when he was 14. So tried joining the army, <laughs> they found out how old he was. He joined the army because he wanted to get the uniform because he thought that, you know, look good in the uniform, you get the chicks. And he kind of drifted around uh, multiple places, doing odd jobs and bits and pieces and working here and there. And eventually found his way in Detroit. And around 1949, he, uh, he released a song called Boom, 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 Boom. And it became a hit. It was on the Blues Brothers uh you know, where he's on Maxwell Street, Chicago. Maxwell Street was famous as a, a centre of the black community for not only the music, but also the stores, and also kind of an integration between a lot of different nationalities. Um, kind of got along and, you know, traded and had a good time. And so this is an example of also the Chicago sound, how it becomes richer. And I see now you, you're probably starting to get a clearer picture of the differences so some people that say oh blues music they think of the robert johnson and son house whereas in for me i listen to more of that that chicago side Red down, red all for your feet. Take you home with me, put you in my house. Boom, 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 boom. Ow, how, how, how. I love to see you strut up and down the floor. You know, so that there is John Lee Hooker. Now we're going to take it to show you a bit of a mix. Um, mix being was that obviously the the older dudes what they're doing was playing slide guitar, especially Sun House that you heard towards the beginning of the podcast. And now we're going to talk about Elmore James, who did a cover of Robert Johnson's song "Dust My Broom." Now Elmore James actually served in World War Two. He served in Guam. Uh, those that you don't know your history was a particularly bloody battle in Guam uh, and he was the in charge of basically the landing crafts you know like if you watch the World War II films the D-Day the dudes driving the craft he was that guy what made him interesting was that after the war he went and he actually started working in an electronic store and what he did is he created his own sort of speakers and pickups and from that, he created a very unique sound that was <laughs> basically just loud as old fuck. <laughs> and so what happened was, you know, when he played, it just sounded like, you know, he was coming through a bulldozer through the house. I came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> 
So yeah, that was Elmore James. That's also if you watch The Wolf of Wall Street, there would be Elmore James music on there. Um, because Martin Scorsese is actually a huge blues fan and did a blues series which you can actually check out on YouTube. Uh, so yeah, then you know after that you start to get a little bit more, I guess, sort of the poppy side that people would ask. That was B.B. Uh, King himself coming from down south, a uh, migrating north like many others. He worked sort of different jobs here and there. When he was in the army, he started to play a little bit of music. Realised that blues was the sort of thing. Again, had his history in the church. And B.B. actually stands for Blues Boy because, you know, like me, he <laughs> did a little bit of radio. And so his, his guitar was always called Lucille, no matter what it was. Now, Lucille actually got its name because he was playing in a pl place called Twist, Arkansas. Right? You never heard of it. Like, literally, I googled it. It's, it's, it's not... At best, it's just a name on the on the map, right? It's basically a rural area. You know, I was telling you before about these blues musicians who used to play juke joints. This is a prime example, right? So he goes, it's literally like this wood hut, you know, that he's playing in before he's famous, trying to earn a little bit of money, right? And uh, two men start arguing over this woman. You know, it's my girl. No, it's my girl. It's not my girl. Anyway, they fight, 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 fight. They knock over the kerosene heater, the place ignites, right? B.B. King nearly dies because, you know, guitars are really expensive. So he goes in to try and get his guitar. And he later found out that the argument that the woman's name was Lucille. So after that, he, uh, he named his uh, guitar Lucille to remind him to never, ever fight over a woman. Uh, he, you know, people talk about players. And, you know, if you read his biography, that duel was a player of all players. But here's an example of his music called Just a Little Bit of Love. Some people die for love, some die for hate Some die because they don't have no mate And all I want, just a little bit of love All I want, just a little bit of love All I want, just a little bit of love All I want, just a little bit of love That was just a little bit of love by B.B. King. You can check that out on YouTube. Now, we're talking about Detroit, um, Chicago, you know, like I said, sort of B.B. King. So a lot of that electrified music was from the north. Uh, you know, they basically hooked into the speakers and then let it loose. Now, as time went on, um, the south was actually never forgotten. In fact, in August, I was in Texas in Houston, and uh, they still produce you know, there's something about Texan guitarists. So, look, we're running out of time here. Um, but, you know, I would suggest that you listen to Lightning Hopkins as a great storyteller in the old acoustic style. Um, you know, definitely, you know, if you want a little bit more modern, go for Stevie Ray Vaughan. I know many people are a big fan. And uh, But what I want to talk about now, uh, to finish off the show, so to speak, is, uh, <laughs> well, he's known as the Texas Cannonball. And, well, quite frankly, Freddie King, uh, he was from Dallas, and um, well, he lived in Dallas. He originally was from a bit further out. And he was around sort of late 60s, early 70s. Um, he'd unfortunately died at 42, but he was performing 300 days a year and uh, didn't have the healthiest of diet. 
and uh, lifestyle partied a little bit too hard and well let's just say that he was a fan of the old bloody marys anyway he did this song and i regularly play it on my radio shows uh which is called big legged woman <laughs> So that's an example of Big Legged Woman by Freddie King. And just to shut, uh, I guess to finish the podcast off, thank you very much for joining me on this journey. Uh, just looking at the time, it's actually probably one of the longest I've done in a while, but it's something that I am passionate about. I feel like um, everyone needs those rises. You know, I'm, I'm the first to party out and get wild, you know. Um, it's uh, it's both made great jaws and, and cost a lot of my life, but just, you know, <laughs> it's the way that I was born, the way that I am. Um, but blues music is, for me, it's always the, the uplifter, you know? Like, we always talk about, you know, like you pop pills, you do coke or whatever, you've got to come down <laughs> for a couple of days afterwards. But when you want it, um, that's where you feel, like, you know, supposedly feeling incredible, right? Um, but that's, for me, for blues music is like, you know, there's this, this such an incredible high every time I listen to it. Uh, from the music, from the from the vibe to the bass to the guitar to the singing, uh, and it just yeah, it just really makes me feel good all the time. And to be frank with you, uh, I'm sharing like a a very very big part of my life to uh, to the whole entire world on this particular podcast because yeah, for me it's 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 my life. I, I couldn't imagine you know not having blues music, and I guess it's an interesting point of reflection that we're never aware of what influence we we have uh, by doing what we do you know i'm a firm believer in trying to help others and trying to be positive uh again you know i've had it thrown back in my face especially in the corporate world of being too nice um but then again blues music has always been there to lift me up but what for me it is is that how my mum and i talked to her about this the other day how my mother have known that just buying a couple of cds would alter a person's life and I, I remember thanking her for it and she said look at the end of the day that's you that's an individual thing like i can only guard you but it was you that was drawn to it and it was those cds that ended up having me travel around the world uh, my best friend shout out to alex um you know fellow blues musician um and you know i think with the next generation i think it's something that's never going to go away it's more of a marketing thing right because people just think it's boring and whatnot but hopefully i was shown to you as a bit richer and it's a bit more interesting than people think and even if you just include it privately you know maybe one song into your into your spotify playlist here or there you know maybe you two will find something and you never know you you share this with someone else they might click and and then to make a difference to them. So, y'all, thanks again for joining me on this journey. Uh, a personal reflective one at that. And I'm sure we'll be back with more wild shit <laughs> later on. You feel me, fam? Ah, uh, once again, appreciate it. Peace. 
Wagwan, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Peace.